Well, hello, Filled With Messages friends. I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. If you don't know me, I'm Ruth Farrell, and amongst other things, I'm the lead pastor of St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois. So this summer at the church I pastor, our worship theme is National Parks. We're delighting in the natural wonders of our country, connecting them to scripture, and listening for God's wisdom in both. There's also a sub-theme, a book entitled Subpar Parks, America's Most Extraordinary National Parks and Their Least Impressed Visitors. More on that in a moment. So today's park is Yosemite, and we have President Abraham Lincoln to thank for today for this park as he signed a grant act creating it in 1864. Although technically not the first national park, Yosemite was the first land protected in our country so everyone could enjoy its natural beauty. It also served as an inspiration for our national park system, which now preserves so many amazing places around our country. I visited Yosemite with my family when I was eight. We were touring the country in a 13-passenger van and tow-behind camper while my dad worked on his doctoral dissertation. And we spent several days camping, hiking, and delighting in the wonders of El Capitan, Half Dome, Yosemite Falls, and so many other glories this park has to offer. It was such an impactful experience that I still remember details from our time there even now, many, many years later. Too bad I can't seem to find that junior ranger patch I earned anywhere. Shockingly, and I mean that both genuinely and sarcastically, not everyone is impressed by Yosemite. Subpar Parks, a book satirizing visitors' negative reviews of our national parks, highlights two different quote-unquote bad reviews of this park. One negative Ned said, trees block view and there are too many gray rocks. Another wine, falls were not that fantastic. If the second reviewer had done just a little research, they would have learned Yosemite's falls don't run year-round. But maybe we can give them a little grace. We'd all be sad if we went somewhere we heard had amazing waterfalls and found they were just a trickle. But whining about the color and number of rocks? Come on, did that reviewer actually look at those gray rocks? They're pretty incredible. We humans can sometimes become pretty focused on the negative. In some ways, I can't blame us. For those of us who live here in Chicagoland, this week it didn't take much more than a glance out the window to see all the smoke from the wildfires and know that our world is a mess. Watch five minutes of the news and a sense of foreboding can start to settle in. The author of today's scripture passage very pointedly acknowledges that life is hard and it might not get easier. But they also want us to enjoy life to its fullest and they make a good argument for why we should do so. Hear these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. Well, I took all this in and thought it through, inside and out. Here's what I understood. The good, the wise, and all that they do are in God's hands. But day after day, whether it's love or hate they're dealing with, they just don't know. Anything's possible. It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people, bad people, the nice and the nasty, worshipers and non-worshippers, committed and uncommitted. I find this outrageous, the worst thing about living on this earth, that everyone's lumped together in one fate. Is it any wonder that so many people are obsessed with evil? Is it any wonder that people go crazy right and left? Life leads to death. That's it. Still, anyone selected out for life has hope. 
For as they say, a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living at least know something, even if it's only that they're going to die. But the dead know nothing and get nothing. There are minus that no one remembers. Their loves, their hates, yes, even their dreams are long gone. There's not a trace of them left in the affairs of this earth. So seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart. Yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. There's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, open our hearts, minds, and bodies to hear you speaking to us now and always. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts in all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A lot of books in the Bible are filled with weird stuff. These texts were written in times, places, cultures, and by people who have very little in common with us today. But that doesn't mean there's nothing helpful, important, or wise for us in them. All of scripture is a gift from God to us. But just like when we receive a Lego set for our birthday, we have to put in a little work to see the full beauty of the gift. A few verses from the book of Ecclesiastes are well known to many people because its words are the lyrics to a very famous folk song from the 1960s. You might know it. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Okay, I'll stop there. Sorry, but it wasn't the Birds or Pete Seeger who wrote those lyrics. It was the author of Ecclesiastes, also known as Kohelet, which is a generic title roughly translating to teacher or preacher. Some folks insist the author of this book was Solomon, but that assertion doesn't hold up well under close inspection. We just don't have a clue who the exact author of Ecclesiastes was. While we may not know the name and personal details about the author of this book, we do know a lot about their mindset and worldview. The author looks around and writes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. They acknowledge how little control we have over life. They acknowledge that many days it seems like bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Although it's perhaps a little depressing, I appreciate the author's brutal honesty. There's no toxic positivity here. There's no sense that they are sugarcoating this for a religious audience. In today's specific verses, the author of Ecclesiastes gets angry about how unfair the meaninglessness of life is. They write, It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people, bad people, the nice and the nasty, worshipers and non-worshippers, committed and uncommitted. I find this outrageous. The worst thing about living on this earth, that everyone's lumped together in one fate. Life leads to death. That's it. It's a real uplifting message, that one. But it's also a message with which many of us can sympathize. Sometimes it does feel like life is one long downward spiral to death. Perhaps if we're lucky, we get a few good moments along the way, but ultimately it's the grave for all of us. 
many modern American Christians would say that if we're quote unquote good people or if we quote unquote try to follow Jesus, what awaits us is not just death, but heaven or eternal life. Sure, we have to die before we get there, but what waits beyond death is so much better that the dying is tolerable. While there may be New Testament scriptures that point to this idea, there aren't texts in the Old Testament that convey this theology. The authors of the Hebrew scriptures don't really eagerly await what comes after death, the way many Christians do today. We get a taste of this in our scripture text for today when its author writes, a living dog is definitely better off than a dead lion. Dogs were sort of the worst of animals in ancient Hebrew society and and lions were glorified. Uh, So a living dog is definitely better off than a dead lion because the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing at all. There is no more reward for them. Even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate as well as their zeal are already long gone. They will never again have a stake in all that happens under the sun. The ancient people didn't glorify death the way we do. They didn't take solace that their loved ones were, quote unquote, in a better place. Death was a void. It was a nothingness. It meant to be gone from this life, but not to a better place in the same way we conceptualize it. But it's this nothingness of death. It's the futility of life that gives the author of Ecclesiastes pep in their step. They take the inevitability of death as an invitation to enjoy life, to relish the good stuff of this world, because when we're dead, it's gone. We won't be able to experience the good things of this world once our time here is over. And the author of Ecclesiastes is right. There is good stuff during our lives. Certainly, sometimes, perhaps much of the time, it is hidden behind the junk and the boringness and the suffering of life. But there are moments when the good shines so brightly in the darkness, and we can also be intentional about seeking out the good in life and delighting in it. The author of Ecclesiastes even has some recommendations about how we might do so. Firstly, they suggest food. Be a gourmand. That's just a fancy word for connoisseur of good food. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Life is too short to eat broccoli and chicken every day. Be a total snob about the coffee you drink. Travel far to find a bakery whose bread is so good it literally makes you cry a little when you take a bite. Don't constantly deprive yourself of chocolate or cupcakes because at times food does make life better. God designed it this way. If food was just meant to keep us alive, it wouldn't need to taste so good. Second recommendation, clothes. Be a fashionista. Be your best hand-friend self. I'm not saying you need to go out and buy Gucci and Prada. Be your own fashionista. Wear clothes that make you feel good, that put a pep in your step, that make you feel gorgeous and handsome. Wear clothes that bring you joy. Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg got it wrong with their one boring outfit on repeat. Life is too short to wear colorless, uncomfortable clothes all the time. Third recommendation from the author of Ecclesiastes, relish life with the spouse you love. Wink, wink. When was the last time you and your beloved did something together just for the fun of it? When was the last time you told your beloved what you love most about them? 
As a person who has spent a lot of hours counseling couples, I know that marriage and partnerships are hard work. But carving out time for fun in the midst of the hard work, that can keep a relationship happier and healthier. There's one more category of life which the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to enjoy. Work. I suspect there might be two reactions to this. Retired folks might be tempted to check out because they think this doesn't apply to them anymore. But we all have work to do. Work isn't just relegated to the things for which we earn money. Many moms are some of the hardest working people I know, and yet they normally don't earn a paycheck for their mothering. It might also be tempting for those who have jobs who are hard or not fulfilling to stay engaged with the author of Ecclesiastes here. Fair enough. Some of us are not blessed to do work we love. But maybe there is just one element of your job which you could enjoy. Or maybe you could find a volunteer position which helps you find joy in work. Work is actually a gift from God. But just like all of God's good gifts, sometimes it can be corrupted. And we need to sort through the stuff to find its blessing. The author of Ecclesiastes insists that God is filled with joy when we experience joy. Imagine that for a second. When you're happy, it makes God happy. That's a pretty lovely thought. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we're dying. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it wasn't Dave Matthew who wrote those words first. It was the author of Ecclesiastes. May you follow their lead. And enjoy life because God loves it when you do. Grace and peace to you, my friends. I'll talk to you soon. Take good care.